And so I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. If you didn't bring one today or forgot for some reason, page 942 in the pew Bible in front of you, we'll, we'll find you there. Our text this morning begins in uh, verse 12. And um, I, I don't, we won't get all the way through verse 21 today because there, there's so much here. Um, but this kind of a part one. Uh, so I struggled this week thinking about how to, how to preach this passage um, there's, we can't just cover it in one week, and yet we have to cover it in one week because it's a, a single thought that is, that is all, all tied together. And as we approach this passage, let me just warn you that this is one of the most difficult passages in all of Romans. Um, perhaps one of the most difficult passages in all the Paul's writings or even all the New Testament, perhaps. And, Peter wrote of Paul's letters about how there are some things which them which are hard to understand, 2 Peter 3.16, and there's some Bible commentators who think that Paul was thinking about this passage when he said that he writes things difficult to understand. And so this morning, I want you to be prepared to think and be prepared to think long and hard and deep. However, lest you think that this passage is beyond your grasp, I want to encourage you and guarantee you that is not. See, the difficulty with this passage is not on the surface, but the difficulty with this passage goes in the details when you start digging deep into its meaning. You know, it's a bit like digging a hole on the beach. Any child can take the sand and can start digging a hole on the beach. And, it, and at first, right, the sand is, is real easy. But for those of you teenage boys, maybe, who've tried this task and you start digging down lower, uh, what happens is that the, uh, the sand begins to, to give way and pretty soon water gets in and pretty soon finds you like, like delving deep in there trying to, trying to scrape things out of your hole. Especially sometimes you hit hard clay and maybe you hit rock and, you're, and it, gets, it gets going really hard. Um, but there are treasures to be found beneath the surface and my hope for us this morning is this is not where we would be. That we would not start digging this hole only to be close to the treasure and then turn away and go home. Because the good news is that the, the sand on the surface is easy to understand, but there are great treasures beneath there if you press on and stay with it all the way into a deeper understanding. And I, I just tell you that, that going away from today, you may leave, it's my prayer, that you leave with a, a deeper understanding of the gospel and with a, a greater joy than ever before. So here, here's my guarantee. Kids, everyone will go away with an understanding of this passage, totally sufficient. Um, but I pray that we all will, will grasp it in a deeper way. Okay, so here's the surface. We have two men in the passage which each of them did two acts, and each of these acts obtained two results. Two men performed two acts and obtained two results. Can we say that together? Two men performed two acts and obtained two results. Say it again. Two men performed two acts and obtained two results. Two men performed two acts and obtained two results. Okay, this is, this is so you go home, and parents, you ask your children, what was the sermon about? And just the kids now. What are you going to say, kids, when your parents ask you this question going home? You're going to say the passage is about... Yeah, two men who committed two acts that produced two results. Now, the, the two men are, are really easy to understand. They are Adam and Jesus. Um... 
Adam is the one who sinned, and Jesus is the one who was sacrificed upon a cross. And the results are easy to understand. Adam brought death to mankind, and Jesus brought life to mankind. And if you understand this picture here, you have understood the passage that is before us. Now, you may not know everything about these two men or exactly the, their two acts and, and what they did or their two results in, in exactly how, how it happened. But if you know enough to understand that Adam's sin plunged us deep into death and that Jesus' act of righteousness, his sacrifice on the cross, gives us life out of death, then you have fully grasped this, the meaning of this passage, because that's what it's about, and we'll, we'll see that over and over again. And, and there's really nothing you lack. If you can see this picture, there's nothing really you lack in understanding this passage. It'll be like driving a car. You may not understand all the intricacies of the combustible engine and how it takes gas and, and gets your car going along, or how the oil exactly lubricates, or how the radiator cools, or how the power brakes actually slow your car, or how the brake pads work. Or, you may not know any of that, but you know you got a key. And you know enough to stick that key in and go, and it's running, and you know enough to press, put it in park, put it in drive, and then press that pedal and go. You know enough to drive the car. But a mechanic might know more about what's going on under the hood. And so also this passage, you just need to know that two men performed two acts and obtained two results. Adam's sin brought death, and Christ's cross brought life. That is message, my message title this morning is Death. To life. From Adam was death, and to Christ is life. So I want to read this passage. I want for you to listen for the two men and the two acts and the two results. And it's interesting about this. Paul's going to go over this again and again and again and again and again and again. That's why I've pounded again and again. Almost every verse, he talks about what Adam did and then what Jesus did and the results and kind of just weaves them all together. Begins in verse 12. <clears throat> Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience will the many be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. My first point is simply this, two men. Maybe you can guess my second and my third point. Two men, Adam and 
Jesus. And here's what I've done. I've just taken our text there. It's not important that you that read it. But I just circled any time that one of these men were mentioned. <clears throat> and I count 14 references to Adam or to Christ or to one man or to one man, one man, one man. And those are all explicit references when Jesus or Adam were referred to by name. In verse 14, it begins, verse 12, it begins with one man. In verse 14, he's named. Jesus is named in, in verse 15, finally. And, and, and note what it says about Adam in verse 14, though. Here's, here's the key thing when we think about these two men, is that Adam is a type of the one who's in to come, who is to come. A type, meaning just a pattern. Now, not, not a pattern in the sense that Jesus was like Adam, because in many ways they were, were different. Um, not in the sense that Jesus did what Adam did, because they did opposite things. Adam sinned, Jesus was righteous. But, but a pattern, like a, a similarity in the sense that Adam played a crucial role in the history of mankind. And so likewise, Christ Jesus played a crucial role in the life of mankind. And, and really, it all comes back to what they did. My second point, two acts. And when, Paul speaks, when Paul speaks to these two acts, he just uses the, the broadest of terms. Again, I put the text up there. It's not important to all the details. Okay, But here, I just circled whenever he's talking about uh, transgression or, or trespass or sin or disobedience. And I, I didn't even do all of them because some is not particularly talking about their trespass. Verse 20 now, the law came in to increase the trespass. That's increase the trespass in us. That's not their trespass. All those circles up there have to do with either Adam's sin or Christ's righteousness. Using transgression, trespass, sin, disobedience, lots of different words. Or, with Paul referring to the events of Jesus, the act of righteousness or of obedience. Now, it is interesting here that he's talking about one, their, their, their life, he's talking about just one instance in their life. And particularly he's talking about, with Adam, eating of that fruit. And then everything that, that took place from there. And with Christ, he's talking about his sacrifice upon the cross. He's not really talking about his miracles. It's not the one act of righteousness. The one act of righteousness is when he, pour, he bore the wrath for our sins. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the one act of Adam... And the one act of Christ. All right, my third point. We're going through this sermon really fast, right? The results, two results. Again, we see the same thing over and over and over again, resulting in the, re in the results. And so I just, I took the text up there and I said, okay, where are the results? And there they are. I mean, so it kind of should give you an idea of this, this passage, talking about Adam and Jesus, talking about these two acts, and then these are the results. Verse 12, the result is that death spread to all men. Verse 14 is that death reigned. Verse 15 is that many died. Verse 16, that judgment brought condemnation. Verse 17, death reigned. Verse 18, condemnation came. Verse 19, many were made sinners. Verse 20, sin increased. Verse 21, sin reigns in death. That's the result of Adam's sin. And it's, it's not pretty. But it ought to help you understand the importance of Genesis 3 and understanding our world that Adam's sin brought catastrophe to this world. Judgment, condemnation, death, sin. As Romans 8.20 says, for the creation was subjected to futility through Adam's one act of sin. 
But here's a contrast. Adam's sin brought destruction, but Christ's righteousness brought life. That's that's why it took the work of another man in order to reverse the order. So everything that, that Adam messed up, Christ restored. Verse 15, the free gift, the, the grace of God abounded for the many. Verse 16, the free gift brought justification. Verse 17, the abundance of grace is received. Verse 17, the free gift of righteousness reigns. Verse 18, justification in life came. Verse 19, many are made righteous. Grace abounded in verse 20. Grace reigns in verse 21. And it all leads to eternal life. Verse 20. And that is, is good news. That we don't have to live under the condemnation of Adam. But we can know the, the justification of Jesus. That we don't have to live and experience the reign of, of sin in our lives. We can experience God's reigning grace in our lives. We don't have to die in our sins. But as this text ends in verse 21. That there is eternal life that we can hope for. And it all comes through Jesus Christ. And the question here, the text, is really this. Which, which side are you on? Which way are you living? Which way are you trusting? Are you on the Adam side or are you on the, the Jesus side? Who are you following? Are you following in the ways of Adam or are you following in the ways of Christ? Do you follow in the way of sin? Or do you know the grace that has come to you through Jesus Christ? Paul's point here is the glories of the gospel. How much better is the way of Jesus? It abounds even all the more. Verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the men's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for the many. That the way of Christ is far better than the way of Adam. Really, that's our message. Two men... Two acts, two results. We could pray here and we'd, we'd be okay. But there are, are depths. There are depths to, to mine here. There are treasures to be discovered. And I want to I dig deeply here, focusing here on my third point, two results. Because the result is where it is. I mean, man, is not a lot more you can say, well, we could go into Adam. We could go into the Old Testament. We could go and look at Genesis 3 more extensively. And um, we could go to Jesus and we could look at the cross. We have been doing that a lot, though, during the Easter, leading up to Easter. We, we know these men. We know their acts. But I'm not sure we've really reflected a lot on their results. So we're going to just kind of focus on the results. We're going to go slowly. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I want you to notice the dash at the end of sinned. Um, most all of your translations will have a dash there. I mean, there are some that don't, but almost every single one does. It singles a, signals a break in thought, a, a parenthesis, if you will, where Paul was going along talking and then something arrests his attention and he's going to, okay, well, let's, let's deal with what I'm talking about here. Let's uh, parenthetically, and then let's get back to the main thought. And he doesn't, pick it up until verse 18 so the flow of the logic of the passage goes verse 12 through picked up in verse 18 and, and everything between verses 13 to 17 are a parentheses sort of explaining verse 12 particularly 13 and 14 explain verse 12 a lot but let me just read it for you skipping over and you can see therefore just as Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, 
Therefore, 18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification of life for all men. That's really his, his, his big argument, which is the same thing we were talking about. Right? Two men, two acts, and, and two results. But the big question is this. Why did Paul break his thought there in verse 12? Why, why, did he, why did he get to the end of verse 12 and then say, oh, we need to clarify this? Okay, because that's key to understanding what he's talking about. And this is where, as I, I prayed earlier, it might, it might rub you a little bit like, oh, I've never really thought about that before. Because many people read verse 12 like this without thinking about it very much. They, they read, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all, and then he put, have sinned. Like, in, in, in other words, right, the, the idea here in many people's thought is that, yes, Adam brought sin into the world. By the way, sin existed before then with Satan falling, and Satan being the serpent is the one who deceived Adam, and that Adam was the pathway to get into the world. But Adam brought sin into the world, and sin brought death, and all of us die. Why? Because all of us sin, and because of our sin, we die. Now, that is very true. Because of our sin, we do die. But that's not what Paul said in this, in this verse, verse 12. It's not that all died because all have sinned. What, what did Paul say? He says, because all sinned. In other words, right, to put some clarification into what Paul is saying, you might say this, death spread to all men because all sinned when Adam sinned. All right? That's, that's what verse 12 means. In other words, right, we are condemned to death because Adam sinned. Okay, so let's, 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 let's start thinking about that. I, I argue that way because that is exactly what Paul is arguing in verses 13 and 14. If Paul was saying death spread to all men because all have sinned, see, there's the problem, they're dying, and therefore you, just, you can just go on. But Paul says, no, I need to clarify this. And he clarifies it by saying this in verse 13 and 14. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of one who is to come. Now, in order to explain verse 12, Paul in verse 13 goes back to history. He brings us back to the days before Moses, okay, between Adam and Moses. And he brings us back to the days before the law was given. And in fact, he makes a simple observation. Before the law was given, Exodus 20, people died. If you just read Genesis chapter 5, the opening genealogy of the book of, of Genesis, it's got a repeated phrase, and I think this is the point. He lived so many years, and he died. He lived so many years, and he died. He lived so many years, and he died. He lived so many years, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. The one exception is Enoch. He was taken up. But everyone else, he died, he died, he died, he died. And Paul really brings that, that um, observation here. He says... Sin was in the world before the law was given, but he said this, sin is not imputed where there is no law. Right? Because you've got to ask, why did they die? They did not die for their own sins. They died for the sins of Adam that they sinned in him. Verse 12. Verse 13 lays it out, right? You don't count sin where there's no law. I mean... 
Think about a righteous government. A righteous government will only enforce the laws. Suppose, for instance, right, that you're, you're in the business of selling hot dogs on the street, okay, and uh, you've done what you can do to get the permission, uh, and you're selling hot dogs, and your business is going away along, and, and along comes a police officer and hands you a ticket for operating a business illegally. And you say, why am I getting this ticket? He said, it's illegal to sell hot dogs on the street. And he said, well, I was unaware of that law. And the police officer says, oh, oh no, no, there, there is no law, but there should be. Here is your ticket. Or there is going to be, right? We're going to vote next month on the, this uh, legislation. And there's going to be this law that says you can't do that. And therefore, you get this ticket. You, that's not the way the law works. Until the law is enacted and established, up until that point, you're not transgressing the law. Until that law is, is on the books. And I would say that such a police officer offers you that ticket is totally unjust because he's punishing you for a law that did not exist. Even if the law would exist at some point in the future. And that's what Paul is trying to say, right? Sin is not counted where there's no law. The law of Moses didn't come then. So, so the question is, why, why did they die? And, and Paul observed. They died, though, verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though those who were sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of one who is to come. And so you say, so, so why did they die? It's not because they broke the law, but they died because they sinned in Adam. And that's the key, the end of verse 12. Death spread to all men because all sinned, you might put, in Adam. We all sin. This is what theologians call original sin. This is what the old catechism says. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. We sinned. When he fell, we sinned as well. Now listen. To our American ears, this sounds totally bizarre. Like, how, how can this be? Because we as a country are founded, devoted staunchly to our individualism. Each person is free to do what they want. And I've told you before, the thing that makes America great is that all of us are free to do whatever we want. And the thing that makes America terrible is that we can do all whatever we want. Right? That brings in the greatest successes and it brings in the greatest sins and atrocities in our, in our country. But we are committed to this staunch individualism that everybody can, can make their own way. One of our founding documents... Profoundly individualistic. The Declaration of Independence. It stated all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we hate the thought in any way that, that our pursuit is affected by the sin of others. Or that we would pay the results of sins of others. We hate the thought that we are in any way responsible for those sins. Yet in the Bible, listen, I'm saying over and over and over and over again, we're confronted with our individualism and presents us with a view of solidarity. In other words, right, that we are not merely individuals, but we are, are bound together as a corporate identity. Chris Bronze, pastor of Redbrook Church down south in Stillman Valley, wrote a great book, Bound Together. I just read... We are bound to one another in corporate relationships. To varying degrees, 
We are represented by the choices, actions, and decisions of others, and they likewise are affected or represented by ours. We are united to others in our good and in our bad decisions. The idea that we are deeply connected to other people, even people we may not have even met or do not know, sounds a bit strange and offensive to modern ears. How, for instance, can it be fair for three-year-old children to be drowned in a flood because of the sinful decisions made by their families, yet as strange and as offensive as this principle of the rope may sound to our culturally conditioned sensibilities without a firm grasp of this truth, it is impossible to understand the course of human history and the storyline of the Bible. Without understanding how we are united and attached, without a firm grasp of this, Chris writes, it's impossible to understand the course of human history and the storyline of the Bible. Unless you grasp this, you won't understand the story of the Bible is what he's saying. All right, well, let's, let's move on. I think the best way to illustrate this is to show you this is by illustrating it. I'll just, I'll just give you a couple instances of where this is the case. Um, take Egypt, the days in which the Israelites were slaves. Uh, some horrible plagues came upon that nation. They, they experienced plagues upon the land where the water in the Nile was turned to blood. And they had frogs everywhere, just a, a nuisance. And then gnats and swarms of insects. And then pestilence on the livestock, their, their livestock. Financially, they were hit. They experienced boils on their bodies, painful enough to prohibit them even from going outside. Hail came upon destroying their flocks. Locusts destroyed their flocks. Darkness fell upon land. And worst of all, every family experienced the death of the firstborn son. So you say, why did they experience such hardship? Because of the hardness of the heart of one man. His hardness inflicted all this pain upon people. Do you think every Egyptian had a heart equally as hard as Pharaoh? I'm sure there were some that said, just let him go. Just let him go. Well, in fact, I know there are the magicians. When the, when the gnats came along, um, they were the ones, they, they said, uh, no, um, I'm trying to figure out if I ask my notes. Um, when the gnats came along, the magicians noticed they saw something incredible was taking place. They, they couldn't produce gnats by their secret arcs. They, they could turn water into blood, and they could produce frogs like we produce rabbits out of hats, but they couldn't control the bugs. And they said, ooh, God's controlling the bugs. This is the hand of God, and um, the finger of God, particularly Exodus eight nineteen. And we read in Exodus 8, 19 that Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them. In other words, the magicians were telling him, this is, divi- this, is, this is not us. This is not just magic what Moses is doing. This is divine. You let them go. But Moses hardened his heart and he said, no, I'm not going to let them go. And so the people suffered and they suffered greatly losing the firstborn son in every home. That's Solidarity. And I say that is all over the Bible of just one man having an impact upon a nation, particularly like leaders have impacts upon nations. It's how God created the world. It's hard for us to understand as Americans, but you just think about it. Your, uh, your parents make decisions that affect you, where you live, where you go, what you do, their actions, 
whether they're leading you in godliness or whether they're leading you in ungodliness, that has implications of what you do. Teachers lead you, teachers what they do. Our leaders in our government, their actions have implications for us, for good or for bad. It's just how, 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 how this works. And it's how God has created the world, how he deals with us. There's this solidarity aspect to things. The basic stuff Michael Horton wrote in his Systematic Theology, the concept of solidarity is basic to biblical worldview, however alien to our own. This is like basic stuff. But because we're in America, it's difficult. Now, if we were in the East, this sermon probably wouldn't be so difficult to preach or understand or embrace. And I just say this, that sometimes it's very difficult to embrace solidarity. Like, let's take the story of Achan, right? We've seen Egypt, we've seen Pharaoh inflict all this. Well, think about Achan. His story is told in Joshua 7. And the context of the story is that Israel's doing well. They, uh, they were charged by God to take the promised land and, and just right over the, the River Jordan. They were there on Jericho. They marched around the city seven times and seven days and then seven times that last day. And the walls came down and they came and they conquered everybody. They saved Rahab because she was a, uh, a spy. She helped the spies come in and things were, were going really well and they conquered Jericho. The very next city was to conquer was Ai, a small city. When Joshua sent out the spies to that place, he said, let's just, that's not very big. Let's just spend, send a few thousand soldiers. Well, they went and 36 of them were killed. And Joshua heard this like, we conquered great Jericho, but we couldn't conquer little Ai. 36 men lost their lives and he tore his clothes, fell the earth, his face on the ground before the ark until the evening, just praying to the Lord, why were we defeated? Why were we defeated? And here's what God said. Israel has sinned. This is Joshua 7, verse 11. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them, and they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. So Joshua said, okay, let's find out who's guilty. So they they got all the tribes together, and Joshua cast lots. I don't know what that looked like, whether it was straws or dice or whatever. And the lot fell on the tribe of Judah. So he gathered together all the clans of Judah together. And he he cast lots on Judah, and it fell on the clan of the Zerahites. And so he pulled the Zerahites together, man by man, and he cast lots, and it fell on Zabdi. And so he took Zabdi, and he, he pulled together all his, his household, all his family, and he cast lots, and the lot fell on Achan. And Joshua seven nineteen. then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan... Repentant, perhaps, maybe convicting, maybe just truth. He said, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil in Jericho a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with my silver underneath. He's not trying to hide his sin. He's saying, there it is. You go find it. And so Joshua sent messengers and found exactly as he had said. And so they brought all the evidence before Joshua and Joshua and all Israel with him. This is Joshua 
took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his donkeys, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring this trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire, and they stoned them with stones. And then they raised a great heap of stones that remain to this day. And then the Lord turned away from his burning anger. Therefore, the name of that place to this day is called the Valley of Achor. Did you catch what happened? Achan was guilty, and who was stoned to death? Achan and his sons and his daughters. Their solidarity. And we may not like it, but that's how the Lord often deals with things. Adam's sin, Achan's sin, affected his family, and they died. Adam's sin affected us all. And we died because of his sin. The sons and daughters died because their dad sinned. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Maybe you remember their story. Numbers chapter 16. They rebelled against the Lord. They're jealous of, of uh, Aaron and Miriam. And they get there. And um, basically, Aaron says, well, I tell you what. If something new happens and, and you are killed, you know it's of the Lord. If, if you don't get killed, then no, it's not of the Lord. And the whole earth opened up and swallowed Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and all their family. Listen to what Numbers 16 verse 32 says. That the earth swallowed up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and their gods and their goods. 250 people. Basically three ringleaders. God destroyed them by opening up the earth and all their family. You're like, well, I didn't agree with my dad. (laughs) You're connected to your dad. Say, I didn't agree with Adam. We're connected to Adam. When David sinned before the Lord by numbering the people, 70,000 people died in the pestilence because of David's sin. Because he's our representative, he's our leader. And when Daniel was rescued from the lion's den, Daniel 6.24, the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of the lions, they, their children, and their wives before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in pieces. Now, that, that's the culture of the day. That's a biblical culture. That's the culture of Persia. That's the culture of the East. That is how God deals with us in corporate solidarity. And this, by the way, is exactly what the Lord said, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Maybe this is a verse you know. Here it says, um, The Lord... The Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We love that. Let's continue on. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yes, we love that. But keep on. Who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Do you, do you ever wonder why the son of an alcoholic is an alcoholic? That's not always the case. But that's visiting the iniquity to a third and fourth generation. Do you ever wonder why those in poverty often tend to remain in poverty? It's because we're in solidarity with our parents, and if they can't get out of that school, it's hard to get out. You ever wonder why a daughter looks and acts like her mother? 
because you're in solidarity with your family. Do you ever wonder why a nation suffers because of the poor policies of their leaders? Or do you ever wonder why a nation succeeds because of the great policies of leaders? It's because we're in solidarity. We have our, we elect, uh, think about it. In America, we're not a democracy, right? We elect our representatives. Our representatives go, and they, they whatever, vote in Springfield or whatever. They vote in Washington, and, and they lead. And we are, we go along with whatever is done there. They are our representative. And in some regards, that's what Adam was. He was our representative. That's how God made the world. But, but we tend, in some Americans, to deal with everything individualistically. And the Bible doesn't. And so this is why it's... Addressing us. And Paul knew, though, that we tend to be individualistic. That's why he, he stopped here in verse 13. It said, Sin's not kind of when there's no law, but there was death, meaning we died, we sinned in Adam. Now, let me just be clear. Okay, none of this corporate talk absolves us of any individual responsibility. Ezekiel 13, 4 is clear. The soul that sins will die. Okay, and uh, God will hold each of us and everyone responsible for our own sins. But that's on one level. I believe this is a bigger level going on here as well. Just the global picture of our first man, Adam. Which, by the way, he's got to be a literal Adam for this to take place. It's not some metaphor. This was a, a real man who was our representative and brought us all into sin. But there's something bigger. There's, there's a bigger accountability going on that we are linked with Adam whether we like it or not. Kids, you're linked with your parents whether you like it or not. Parents, you're linked with your parents whether you like it or not. That's what verse 12 says. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. So now, exactly how it is that Adam's sin came to us, really there are two different views. One is the realistic view. That says that we were there in Adam when he sinned. Um, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 says that Abraham, um, that Levi through Abraham, gave ties to Melchizedek because he was in his loins. Like four generations later, like Levi, a descendant of Abraham, was in the loins of Abraham. So as Abraham gave ties to Melchizedek, it's Levi actually paid ties to Melchizedek. It's a big complicated thing, but there's something there biblically where there's a, a realistic view. Like, like we were in the loins of Adam when he sinned, so in effect we sinned with him. Because all of the, whatever, you think about DNA, all, the, all of... Human life was in Adam. We were there. And we sinned in him. That's, that's the realistic view. Uh, another view is called the representative view, like on our government, right? We elect someone. They go, and, and Adam was our representative. And as he sinned, he sinned for us, our representative in our place. But we didn't vote for Adam, but God appointed Adam, and Adam was our representative head, and we were responsible for his sin. Now, the realistic view... Or the representative view, what exact, which one is right? It's difficult to know. That's where you're going to plumb the depths. I'm not sure anyone exactly knows. Some theologians even hint that maybe both these views give us an aspect of what, what took place. It's that, that we are vitally, biologically connected with Abraham, with Adam. And Adam is also our representative. So in both those ways, as he sinned, we are guilty of our sin, original sin. So let me ask you right now, all right? Do you like this? That one man can plunge all of us into sin and death because of what he did? All right, here we go. Here's the treasure. We're right there. Right. Let's just break through. Because here's the treasure. 
as one man brought the human race into sin and death as our representative. So also one man as our representative brings us into life. And the same way that Adam brought us into death is the same way that Jesus brings us into life. If you're going to stand and say, I do not like that about Adam. I want to be held responsible for my own sin. Not Adam's sin. It's me. Then you have to take the next step and you say, God, I'm going to be held for my righteousness before you. Not Jesus' righteousness. My righteousness. I'm standing on my feet before you. And what's going to happen? You're condemned to hell because you can't walk in a righteous way. We all sin. But, but you see, I, I trust that you've got to accept the one in order to get the other. Because Adam is the type of Jesus. And what Adam did in our sin is exactly what Jesus did in our righteousness. It's not because we are righteous that we are justified before God. It's that Jesus was our our representative for us. And his righteousness then becomes imputed to our account just as Adam's sin was imputed to our account. And you need to take both those things together. If you don't, you don't understand the gospel. That's why this is so important is that Jesus becomes sin for us in our place. And it's exactly as Adam failed us, so Jesus succeeded on our behalf. That's why Colossians 2.14 says our sins were nailed to the cross. That's 2,000 years ago, our sins nailed to the cross. Now, the cross is all rotted and gone right now. It's not when we commit a sin. It's when Jesus died... Our sins were nailed to the cross. Now, that's a picture and stuff, but that means that our sins that we committed 2,000 years later were nailed to the cross when Jesus died. Hallelujah, exactly right. And this is, this is the gospel. This is, where it is. this is where it shines bright. Look at verse 15. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment followed the one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following the trespass brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Adam plunged us into sin, and and what we had was bad. But the restoration is much better. In fact, I would argue, I'll talk more about this next week as we deal with this passage again. We are better off now than Adam was in the garden. Because Adam in the garden had opportunity to sin. And we as believers entrusted in Christ have already dealt with our sin. We are sure to stand before God in Jesus. I want to finish with a poem. By one man we came to no sin, condemned without hope when death entered in. But by one man there's freedom again. He offered the gift of life. By one man who would not obey, our birthright of joy was taken away. But by one man we are righteous today. He offered the gift of life. And this gift of life is given through Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, God's grace abounds to all. By one man, Adam by name, 
Our judgment was sealed and covered with shame till God's own son, Lord Jesus, he came to offer the gift of life. By one man who stood in our place, redeeming by blood those lost in disgrace. Now we stand forgiven by grace, embracing this gift of life. He gave us the gift of life. Lord Jesus, the gift of life. So let's pray. Father, I would pray that we would see and understand how you deal with us in a, in a corporate way. God, that we are condemned in Adam and we embrace that and we say amen. We are, we are sinners by nature and by choice. And Father, I pray also, oh God, that we would see how that transfers to Jesus. That, that sin, as we sang earlier, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not just in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. And this is the glorious gospel. I pray that we would go forth from this place eager to preach the gospel. Oh, God. Eager to speak with others of the glories of Christ. Father, help us to embrace these things. Help us to understand these things. Let's let's just not deal on the surface. So it's good as that can be. Two men committed two acts leading to two results. But, God, may we understand deeply how, how deep and awful was that act of what Adam did, so we might see how glorious and great is the act that Jesus Christ did for us, in that we rejoice.